Hello and welcome to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, Licensed Professional Counselor. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, singer-songwriter Kelly Stoltz. While Kelly Stoltz is not in counseling or psychology, I really think you're going to enjoy this interview. As you can see, Kelly has quite an existential and philosophical edge to him, and you can see that both in the interview and the lyrics, and he's got some great advice just from his experience on how to live. Now, I'm going to be making this part of a series of music-oriented podcasts on the Intentional Clinician for many reasons. I think music is a great coping skill for people going through difficulties in life, and music is a universal connector. In fact, a recent study by Harvard showed that music really is the universal language, and that people can hear a song and know what they are hearing no matter where they are from or what language the song is in. Despite cultural differences, people were able to determine the function of songs from all around the world and in all different languages and all different types of things. And so even from a small excerpt, somebody could determine that. And I've always said, if you know how to read music, you can take a plane to Tokyo and sit in on a jazz trio if you know how to play an instrument and read the chords. And I think that's a great connector, and people find a lot of value in music, and it brings meaning to our lives, and it's something we can share or something we can do on our own. So that's going to be part of my music series, and it'll be interspersed with other interviews as well. But the first person in our music series is Kelly Stoltz. I'll be playing some of his songs in between some of the questions, and I was so glad he granted me this interview, as I'm a huge fan, and I hope you will be too after this interview. So before we totally get into the interview, I think it'd be a good idea for me to let everyone know who Kelly Stoltz is, if you're not familiar. Kelly Stoltz grew up in the Detroit area, but eventually found his way to San Francisco after taking a detour to New York City, where he worked in the mailroom of the infamous Jeff Buckley. Armed with a four-track recorder and a wealth of lo-fi pop songs, Stoltz began recording his own material, performing all of the parts himself, all of the instruments, and drawing comparisons to artists like Brian Wilson and Captain Beefheart. Those songs caught the ear of Monte Valliere, who helped Stoltz clean up and sweeten the recordings for the release of The Past Was Faster in 1999. After that, Stoltz upgraded to an 8-track and self-released Antique Glow in a limited quantity of 200 vinyl copies, each one housed in a different, originally designed sleeve by Stoltz himself. Antique Glow was then picked up by Jack Pine Social Club for wider social release in 2003, which both raised his profile and allowed him to quit his teaching job. Stoltz found a more permanent home for his music in 2005, when he signed to Sub Pop Records and released the Sun Comes Through EP. A full-length album, Below the Branches, followed in March 2006. Stoltz's band toured that summer as op- the opening act for the Rancon Tears, which is Jack White's band, and returned to the studio in 2008 to record his luscious production yet. The album is called Circular Sounds. Two years later, he toured with Echo and the Bunnymen, and released another layered pop album, Two Dreamers, which featured his live band on two tracks. Of course, Stoltz played all of the rest of the instruments in his studio on all the other tracks. I highly recommend that album. 
His affiliation with Sub Pop having run its course, Stoltz spent the next time, sometime behind the scenes, as a member of Sunny and the Sunsets, and he actually played drums on their fantastic album Tomorrow Is Alright, and he uh, toured with them for a while. He also spent time producing albums for The Mantles and Tim Cohen. In 2013, he had an album called Double Exposure, which was released on Third Man Records, which is Jack White's label that he runs out of Nashville in Detroit. And it was a fantastic record. I think everyone should listen to it. In 2015, Stoltz found a new sponsor in Castleface Records out of California. The label was founded by John Dwyer of the OCs. They released In Triangle Time, a set of songs that blended Stoltz's love of music from the 60s and the 80s. And that was released in early November 2015. The same year, he collaborated with Sarah Beth Nelson on her record Fast Moving Clouds. His next musical move came as a bit of surprise to anyone who didn't know that Stoltz recorded a song-by-song recreation of Echo and the Bunnymen's Crocodiles album in 2001, and that he once had an Echo and the Bunnymen cover band with Spiral Stairs of Pavement, and they called that band Crocodiles. In 2016, he actually joined Echo and the Bunnymen as a touring guitarist, playing the songs he grew up loving, And actually, I think he's on tour right now with Echo and the Bunnymen all over Europe and the United States, um, helping them rock out. And I've seen them play with Stoltz, and it was fantastic. That 80s influence um, of Echo and the Bunnymen became even more evident on Stoltz's next album for Castle Face, released in 2017, K-Aura, which is amazing, uh, if you haven't heard it. And so that's a little bit of the bio of Kelly. And without further ado, let's get into it. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So I know I just introduced people to you and uh, read your biography, uh, the short one on the internet, and um, I I like to usually ask people, you know, something very current. Um, for instance, would you mind sharing something you're really interested in right now, whether that be a project you're working on or something you're listening to as a consumer? Um, I guess, uh, yeah, a, a project I've had going for the last years, uh, uh, that's been kind of fun is building my own guitars. That's been sort of a new, uh, hobby for me. And, um, and by building, I should say, uh, you know, acquiring parts, uh, reaching for my wallet and, uh, charging things on the uh, internet or at local shops, but assembling things and buying, um, kind of prefab uh, guitar bodies and stuff, and then um, sanding them and getting them into shape and um, painting guitars with, uh, you know, the old-style nitrocellulose paint that they used in the six, late 50s and 60s, and, uh, uh, and then learning to wire up guitars, Telecasters and Stratocaster-style guitars. And uh, that's kind of been something I've... I don't know. That's been kind of a different project for me. I'm not particularly, 
adept at you know electronics and wiring so it's a getting to solder and learning how to do stuff like that has been has been kind of a fun different discipline related to stuff that i love and um you know at the end of it you have this cool little thing that you made and is use useful in my music or i could give one to a friend i, I gave sonny smith a telecaster and um you know i built one or two for myself and one or two that didn't turn out very to you know you put time into and they end up not playing very well and uh so they're just collecting dust in my um, garage but you know that's been kind of my my recent project that's given me some uh joy outside of music still music related but kind of uh you know, outside. I don't know if it's the fumes from the paint or the <laughs> smoke from the soldering iron, but you know, it gives me a high of some kind. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. Um, making the instrument that you you play a lot of instruments, from what I understand, but that seems like guitar is your lead instrument, perhaps. Uh, generally, when I play live, it is because you know you're it's easily transportable and you can. Uh, stand at the center at a microphone and, you know, sort of lead the group. You know, there was a period 10 or 12 years ago when I was writing more piano songs. Uh, so I'd often have a, an electric piano or a keyboard or something as more center and, and do half guitar and half keyboard. But, uh, yeah, it's just sort of become somebody else's job and I just sort of mostly just play the guitar now in concert. You know, it's just the easiest thing to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that sounds interesting, becoming a craftsman, um, in a way, making guitars. I mean, is that something you think you're going to continue doing, or is this just um, a little you know, hobby for now? Like, it's a hobby right now, and I still get uh, joy out of it. As I say, I, I started it about a year and a half ago, and I've built maybe five or six guitars. It's not something that I'm doing every day. It's like uh, if I'm not inspired to make music or not traveling and I'm home and wondering, you know, what am I going to do today? It's something to, uh, fill my time and, and you can get inspired when you pick up an instrument and maybe go make a song, you know, with something new, having a new little toy. And, um, you know, I love guitars and I love records and musical instruments and stereos and all that stuff. I'm kind of always been into, uh, sound and making of sound or listening to stuff. So it's, uh, I don't see myself wiring up stereos and speakers and learning to build, uh, you know, CB radios or anything like that. A guitar is a pretty simple um, thing once you get the hang of it. You know, although I still made a mistake on the newest one and it doesn't work for some reason and I don't know why. But uh, I was just working on it, you know, before I spoke to you. So it's like, uh, it's just a different discipline that, right now is is fun for me and uh you know will i do it in 10 years i don't know i've got too much stuff around the house so i probably need to find a hobby that is uh you know uh virtual in some way maybe uh you know an avatar on a video game or something where i have less stuff well there you uh, go physical things to haul around for the rest of my life right <laughs> there you go yeah there's uh currently unlimited sort of video games online that i'm sure <laughs> you could get into but gotta be something in the cloud that i can you know get into that uh, doesn't take up any more space because i'm running out you know so yeah um, yeah or build very small things out of matchsticks or something i don't know we'll yeah. see 
yeah, that sounds that sounds interesting, and I do I do like that. Um, it you know you you create a new instrument or you sit down on a new instrument, and uh, the different sound can inspire you. I know I've when I write songs, sometimes I'll have to go to a different piano or a different keyboard, or else I'll keep yeah. writing the same song. Yeah, something can uh, trigger you to be excited, and you know sometimes it's just the joy of a new toy that uh, you know you get excited about, and that can just lead you to maybe play it more and put more time into it than something you've played on a hundred times. Um, although they have their own, you know, old friend personalities that make you feel comfortable with an instrument and, you know, that's important, but there is something, uh, to, uh, you know, the thrill, the new, a new thrill with a, a new girl or a new whatever, you know, it's, uh, it's like, uh, you know, it can help you in your creative uh, endeavors, uh, especially at times when you're not feeling creative, it can be a impetus to get you to do something. So, you know, I, and I, I took a guitar that I built on my last tour to Europe. So that was kind of like, you know, that was cool. I was playing this thing that I made. And, uh, so I had a, you know, a, uh, a definite relationship with the instrument and playing in Paris with the guitar I built felt pretty good. got back from touring europe and um yeah how was how do you like playing in europe or how was your experience this time uh it was a good experience uh i've been there you know 10 or 15 i don't know times over the last 15 years so it's um you know it's a slow and uh slow and slow and i, I don't know if steady but it's approaching steady a slow and steady build each time, you know, it's uh, uh, 10 people some places, 50 people some places, 300 people some places. So um, I do feel like the last couple times I've gone over, there's been better shows, uh, more atten- uh, well attended. And, you know, it feels like, um, you know, in some ways, the, the you know, my career is getting growing a little bit over there. I've, I've toured there much more than I have the States. Um, and, uh, so I think I've kind of bearing a little bit of fruit from the work that I've done there over the years. Um, still a long way to go to make it, uh, you know, a financially successful enterprise for me and for my group. But, um, um, you know, it's, it's pretty good. As I said to my friends, I entertained dozens of people across the continent. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. And it's a big place and there's a lot of people. So that gives you an idea of where I am. But, uh, uh, you know, it was good. We drove ourselves for the first time. Um, usually I hire a driver. I have a friend drive. And this time, just kind of as a cost-saving measure, we um, decided to drive ourselves. And uh, that was great. It was kind of we were in charge of our own 
schedule and you know if we're gonna leave early it's up to us if we're leaving late and we're going to stop here or visit this museum or whatever along the way um so that was cool and and um and uh we all just you know took turns driving and it was great so i i'm uh recommend recommend that to anybody uh you know you can drive in england it takes 24 hours and you feel pretty much uh you know yeah comfortable on the wrong side of the road or a different side of the road and uh that was our main concern that and um driving around in scotland in the middle of a huge snowstorm and everything so we we tested our metal and we did fine so that was uh that was good and um you know i'll probably get back there i go there kind of once every year or year and a half with a new record so you know they'll be back there sooner or later yeah i i was actually that was one of my questions, just, I guess, I'm trying to stay uh, as the interviewer, but as a fan, I was wondering about, you seem to be touring Europe very actively, and uh, not as much outside of California, except a couple times. I was just curious, is that a strategy, or is that because people seem to buy more records in Europe, or... Yeah, I think uh, uh, for an artist at my level, it's, uh, you know, it's difficult, and I did more touring in the two. You know 2003 to 2010 and got out and around and at some point i just had to get realistic uh you know it's just not catching fire in a way that's financially doable for me to uh play st louis on a tuesday and birmingham alabama the next night for you know 11 people and sell two records and a t-shirt it's just uh just not not taking off in that way and um, you know it's discouraging but it's uh, it's the reality that I work work in and uh, so I think I kind of felt like uh, if I need to if I'm in a tour and I'm gonna spend the money then I'm gonna go to somewhere that's uh, far away and interesting and is in a different culture and in a different uh, country and in a, in a different language and kind of learn uh, well, not learn, but just enjoy that part of my job as a, as as kind of almost a working vacation in a way. Uh, it doesn't turn out to be much of a vacation because you're pretty much just exhausted all the time and you're lifting heavy objects in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, driving a lot during the day. So you don't get to see as much as you would on a vacation, but I just... Uh, Somewhere along the way, decided, you know, if I had to play Phoenix or Amsterdam, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to rather go to play in Amsterdam for 40 people than in Phoenix, you know, and you can extrapolate that across the country and compare that to places in Europe. And it was just a, a decision that I made. I'm not a big um, touring person, uh, you know, the thrill of the, the vans and the hotels and the relentless schedule never was uh really uh my thing i i love performing i enjoy being on stage for and playing for people but sitting in a car for six hours a day is just awful and uh you know the, the anybody who uh you know tries to uh glorify life on the road i you know i just <laughs> Not from, doesn't work for me, you know. Yeah, I like the comforts of home. I'm, I like to be around my stuff, and most importantly, I like to be able to go to my studio every day and make up a song. That's what I 
really enjoy doing the craft of making up music and playing a melody on a keyboard and trying to make a song up, you know? And, um, so I get, you know, equal joy out of that as I do performing live. So for me, I can play live in San Francisco every three weeks and go home and sleep in my own bed and get my thrills that way. There is, um, you know, a lot to be said about how you can grow as a musician and an entertainer by playing 30 nights in a row. Um, but for me, uh, it was just, uh, you know, I'm not young and pliable anymore. I'm old and grumpy. <laughs> and uh, so I, I feel like those days are kind of where I really want to um, be traveling day after day uh, for months at a time. It's just uh, kind of, you know, it's not for me. And I've luckily been with some record labels who that's, that's kind of an expectation that you have uh, to push the albums. But I think uh, people have, in the last five or six years realized I'm just not going to be that kind of person that's going to be traveling for six months out of the year. And I think my career would have been maybe further along had I, had I started doing that, you know, more seriously at 23 or 24 years old, but you know, I didn't really get my first record out till I was 27 or eight. So, you know, I was already, my bones were already getting a little achy by the time I was uh, traveling in my early 30s. You know, it's, I wasn't a kid anymore. So uh, it's a young person's game to do that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a good long line of excuses. I don't know. The real <laughs> reason, I guess ultimately the real reason is uh, I, I, uh, I really like being around my studio and, and I get probably the most satisfaction out of spending time working on a song every day and being able to come into my house and grab something out of the refrigerator and go back out and make music. And that's kind of where I get my biggest kick, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I, I think ultimately if I could just own my own club, you oh. see, just, just down the street and I could play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then, uh, you know, let somebody else have it the rest of the week. That would be, it. that would be just right. Yeah. Like a residency or something. Yeah, just a long time residency. That would be good. And it feels like love let me in, and nobody knows but me. Yeah, it feels like Basically, what I'm hearing is you write a ton of songs. I know that you've got a lot of albums out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe tell us a little bit about um, what. Well, I'm going to go backwards, but let's go to the future for a second. What is your kind of goal right now as Kelly Stoltz, uh, the artist? Um, you know, I don't really, I, I guess my, you know, I've arrived sort of at the goal that I had, which was to be able to do this every day as my main source of um, income and my main source of fun and just to remain interested in doing it, you know, and... Um, uh, you know, for the last 20, 20 years, basically most days I put in time from two to nine hours a day working on something and learning to, uh, you know, even if you're not feeling inspired to force yourself to work a little bit and see, cause you can have days where you're tired or not interested and, you know, you go take a walk and you come back and you give it a shot. And sometimes something great can come out of, out of you on those days. And, uh, or you can 
maybe fiddle around with something and get discouraged and leave it and come back to to it a, a, a to a to it some other day and go whoa that was kind of interesting actually if i just did this and then you got this whole other song idea that can work so um you know my goal is just to uh be able to keep doing what i love to do as long as i can and so uh you know i've kind of been able to figure out a way to do that by doing these recordings for people uh working a little bit at, you know at a record store and occasionally, you know, a song will get licensed for a TV ad or whatever. And if you're, you know, smart and frugal with how you spend, um, you can figure out a way to make, you know, $20,000 last for a year or two, you know? And, um, yeah. so it's just sort of, um, you know, I guess my goal is just to figure out a way to keep doing what I'm, what I've been doing for the last, you know, 15 years, which is, you know, I've worked very hard to be this lazy, you know, and I need to, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've got a dream job for most people. I, I'm, you know, in charge of my own schedule, like four days of five days a week. And, uh, you know, I go work and do a little bit of stuff outside the house and I, the other days to, uh, you know, make a little extra money. So, um, you know, I'm very fortunate. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm yeah. glad that you're writing all this music. I think a lot of people, really love your music i you you come up in some news articles but you're not always in the headlines of things but i think that everyone i've heard talk about your music once they hear one of your albums they have to go listen to all of them and buy all of them that's kind of oh wow that's kind of the the sense of that you you don't write singles you write albums and and so i mean you write some singles or whatever people determine that it's a single later I wish I could. Yeah, right. But uh, and, and there's been some singles that got licensed and got placed in men and college yeah. radio and all that. But um, I think that is like uh, we can I can tell a lot of artists. I've been I've been listening to music. You know, I'm 36. I've been addicted to music since you know I was a little kid. And one of the things I noticed with some of my favorite artists in the 80s and 90s was sometimes they had these albums that got worse as they got later in their career. Um, mm-hmm. you know, due to the maybe stereotypes that you see on MTV behind the music or something, they just weren't inspired anymore. And what I'm hearing is in a way, um, I interpret kind of the last 15, 20 years that you've been talking about where you haven't been touring as much, but you've been writing a lot of music and just, and also working in the music industry, um, kind of as putting it in this way that you're sort of a craftsman in a way. Yeah, a songs craftsman, because every album I hear from you, it seems like it's going into a new dimension. It doesn't; it's Good. not repetitive. Good. Um, yeah. So I think, and it's surprising. And I think uh, the last time I talked to you, when I was in Phoenix, you had put out in Triangle Time, and then you said, right. "Hey, uh, I've got a new album coming out." I was surprised because it, it seemed like it hadn't been that long since that, and then apparently. I heard a rumor on Facebook that you're putting out another album, or it's out, apparently. Right, yes. I was curious about a few things, like maybe a little bit about your story, um, as much as you want to get into, or as little as you want to get into, but um, 
a little bit about your background. You mentioned in school you were the goofy one always making up songs, um, but I was curious, was there any other events or things in your life that you thought, I need to be a musician, this is what I want to do, this is my calling? Well, I mean, I think I knew at a young age that I wanted to entertain people and I wanted to, you know, I always looked up to musicians as a 13 or 14 year old when I kind of really discovered music. So, um, you know, there was just, uh, I had a band or two, but I never really pursued anything. You know, I didn't feel like, oh, that band ended. I better start another one. You know, it was just like, oh, that was something I did that summer. And that was cool. And, uh, you know, I think I, a lot of the groups that I liked as a kid were from England and because uh, of my stepbrother was more, was about 12 years older than me or 10 years older. And he had, uh, he had a lot of new wave records and David Bowie and new order and uh, stuff from the early eighties. And so I kind of inherited his record collection. So I was drawn to that stuff because he was also very cool and had dyed hair and played synthesizer and bands and, you know, I'd never seen anybody like that in my little suburban town where I lived. And so he was kind of like, wow, this is, this guy's cool. And, um, I want to be like him, you know? So mm-hmm. I think I inherited his collection, which was kind of a new wave Anglo Anglophile leaning record collection. And so that was in- very pretty much in- inspirational to me. So I never, uh, you know, paid any attention to a lot of American bands cause I was more into the bunny men and Bauhaus and Tones on Tail and uh, New Order and Depeche Mode and the stuff that he had from 1980 to 83 or 4 when he moved out and and a lot of David Bowie and um, Brian Eno and stuff like that that's what he was into so those became the records that I listened to and that was uh, you know inspirational to me so with that I felt like musicians came from somewhere far away Ah. I was just a guy in Michigan and, you know, and in fact, they may have been from outer space, you know, because it was so far away uh, that it may as well have been, you know, a different planet. And who am I and what do I have to say? And I really didn't have much to say. You know, I didn't. What 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 experience did I have to sing about? I didn't know. You know, only later in life do you go, wow, these guys were 18 or 19 years old. They weren't. They didn't know anything more than I did. They only had their thoughts and their observations of their three miles around their house, you know, the same as me. But uh, I thought they were so deep and drawing on a well of uh, something that I definitely didn't possess, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 I just didn't pursue that in the way that I, I, I wish that I had at, at that age. You know, I kind of I feel like I knew I wanted to do music, but I also... Um, you know, it was difficult for me to, uh, I think that I had such a deep love of it that it was hard for me to put it out there or to share it with people until it was good. Oh, okay. Because I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to suffer uh, playing bad music in front of people and, <laughs> and feel embarrassed, you know, because I knew what was good and what was shit, you know, at an yeah. early age. And, um, you know, I had friends who would play me stuff. Who were into you know the Eagles and whatever the hell and uh, the new Guns and Roses or whatever was big when we were seventeen and it was like this is garbage man this isn't good you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna like this in t- ten years you know and right. 
and that kind of went on and on and on. And, and I, I think I finally had that, that, that epiphany that I need to make music when I was moved to New York and I worked for Jeff Buckley. Um, uh, I think I was, I don't know, 21 or two, maybe 22 or three actually. And I was living in New York and I worked for his manager, his, his, uh, manager who had an office in New York and I was kind of, uh, would pick up fan mail or deliver, you know, Jeff his four track, or they needed a somebody to go set up the chairs at some PR event that they were doing at a Sony Studios, or you know, go get lunch, whatever they needed, and uh, you know, make a stack of all the plane tickets and put these receipts in this box. You know, real mundane stuff that is necessary, and and the low young kid is that's their job. At a, you know, and you realize yeah, I could be working at Subway or I could be working at a you know carpet store it's there's no difference you're just on the business end of juggling paperwork and running small tasks so i kind of did that because that was at an age where i was like i really love music well i love the idea of making music too but i just didn't think you know i was had enough uh, to offer anybody poetically or musically to really be allowed to do that i wouldn't allow myself to do that hmm. Um, so I think working for them and having that realization that, uh, I want to be a musician, but I'm not going to do it. So the next best thing is to work in the business. Well, you know, that's like getting close to your dream and torturing yourself, you know, Mm. because you're, uh, you really want to be the guy on stage. And so at some point I realized I need to start writing some songs and I'm going to have to suck for a while and it's just the way it is and uh so you know i wrote some bad songs and i borrowed a four track from a friend and uh, you know as i say over the years in high school and college i'd made a few songs with people and gone to you know uh, my uncle had a little music studio recorded a few songs with him just kind of tried it on as an exercise to see what it was like so there there was stuff that i did um I had a heavy metal band called Slave Driver that we uh, <laughs> nice. We made three songs, and that was you know I sang like Rob Halford, and it was definitely a precursor to the whole Willie Weird. You know, it was about being you know, living with a dominatrix and things that I had no idea about at eighteen or whatever. <laughs> but you know, it was like right. a Final Tap uh, kind of thing. But that was like a precursor to. Um, what we had a song, Satanic Stepfather, you know, how, how your mom worshiped Anton LaVey. <laughs> uh, no, how your mom loved him on their wedding day. How could you know he worshiped Anton LaVey? Upside down crosses on his arm looked so bad, but little did you know what possessed your stepdad, Satanic Stepfather, death to you all, Satanic Stepfather. There were pentagrams in the wall. Satanic stepfather, pitchforks and knives. Satanic stepfather, he'll take your life. So that was kind of, you know, I was making those songs too, but I, I never, you know, followed through with like, I need, I need to go tour or we need to put this out or I need to go hang at a club and meet people who are in the business. That just, none of that occurred to me. It was just something to do, you know? Right. So I'd had a few forays into it, but I never really followed through. So at some point working for Jeff, I just kind of realized 
you know, I don't want to have an office job in the business where basically you could be working in any business. Mm-hmm. It's just you, this one happens to deal with a product called Jeff Buckley or a product called, you know, you know, Bob Dylan or whatever, you know, it's just, uh, so I thought I better start, I better get on this. And, and then I kind of started to record and it was like the songs weren't very good, but man, it was fun. And, you know, Sunday afternoon I could go fiddle around in the sport track from, you know, I'd wake up and make some music and all of a sudden it was nine or 10 at night and I, the whole day had gone by and I'd had, you know, I had fun. And that's when I kind of realized, I think that's, you know, I think I've discovered what my special purpose is, you know, like Steve Martin, I got my special purpose. Yeah. And so circling back to now asking, what is your goal? I mean, my goal is to keep that feeling alive every day that time goes by very quickly and hours go by in minutes. Well, not 60 minutes, but like three minutes, you know, and like all of a sudden it's that night. And you kind of lose yourself in the project and lose track of time and your worries go away and you're in your own world and your little bubble. And so when I discovered that I could make up songs and enjoy my life, that was what I want. Then I kind of realized, hey, this this is fun and this is what I want to do, you know, and uh so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh yeah, that that's definitely a roundabout way, but I guess that's uh, yeah, that's what happened. It's a great uh, a great uh, answer to the question. So just to throw a little biography in there, so and for the people that haven't heard your music, because this is going out to a whole different audience. Um, so then you were in New York working for Jeff Buckley. Uh, when did you stop working for Jeff Buckley? Was that when you moved or did, was that? Yeah, I moved. I, he was going off, you know, I kind of worked from 94 to 96, I think. And, and, uh, you know, New York was running me down and I was, uh, you know, you, I wasn't getting paid much money to do that. And I had another job at the national archives and a genealogical research library, which a friend got me that was, you know, interesting. It wasn't something I was, interested in per se but it was a, a you know a friend of a friend had a job there hey you need you need to make a little more money you can come work here so i worked there for a while as well helping people you know research their ancestors on microfiche and whatever they used back in those days which was um you know kind of interesting um but i would kind of sneak away and look up you know frank sinatra's census family census record in hoboken and stuff like that you know uh, <laughs> nice you know so i wasn't probably the greatest employee but yeah i think i left uh 96 and or 95 I, I you know i think i was in san francisco in 96 so it must have been 95 that i left and i moved home to detroit for a short time <clears throat> and lived with my grandma and uh my parents were getting their they were getting a second floor put on their house hmm. so that place was empty they were living in a little apartment and i just stayed with my grandmother and and worked at a place called the magic bag that was a music club in ferndale michigan outside detroit and i and i got the job because you know i had i was this guy who lived in michigan but uh um had been to new york and worked for jeff buckley and man that carried a lot of weight at the magic bag they thought i was you know I wasn't just some schmuck from, you know, Oak Park. I was, I'd been to the big city, you know? And so 
I got hired and helped with bookings and, you know, put the ads in the paper. And so in a way I kind of continued that trajectory of being involved in music, but not really performing. But the great thing was the magic bag was closed on Monday nights, every Monday. So my friend and I started to sneak our instruments in and the boss was cool. He knew we were doing it, but we would bring a guitar and a drum set and then, you know, maybe two or three other friends would straggle in and we would pour ourselves beer from the bar and go sit in the backstage and smoke a joint and then go on stage and have these improvisational space jams, uh, you know, hmm. to an empty dark theater. And that was kind of like baby steps on to actually playing. Yeah. <laughs> playing a gig and having the experience of, oh, this is what a backstage looks like. Cool. You know, look at this graffiti on the wall and these dick pictures everywhere. Wow, this is <laughs> something else. And, uh, you know, and it was a fun thing to do. And and um, so that kind of was a way to have a, a, a pseudo experience of playing a concert. And But, hey, you, were, you weren't being uh, judged by anybody. You were just with your buddies kind of having fun. And so, uh, you know, that that was another big you know good experience for me to to do that and to play with other people and and it, it's funny because i was always kind of the leader of that group none of us could play and i was no better than anybody but i felt like i was sort of in charge you know people mm -hmm. looked at me to like how's this song gonna go and so that was kind of the first time that i was um in that position and it was kind of fun and uh I think it, when February rolled around, I guess now I can figure it was February of 96, and that's when I moved to San Francisco. That's what I remember. Time, The timeline now, was, it was 96, and we moved here. I moved here with a friend of mine because we were actually loading out our gear from one of those Monday night you know, private concerts at the Magic Bag, and it was February, and it was about you know, 48 below zero, and I had this moment carrying a guitar, and I thought, I'm living in a refrigerator. You know, I'm choosing <laughs> to live in a refrigerator, and it doesn't need to be this difficult. You know, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to live in ice and snow four months out of the year, freezing my ass off. This sucks. And um, so we, uh, the guy who played drums with me uh, on those nights at the Magic Bag, he and I moved uh, in his car to California and we had his dog and his drum set and my guitar, my guitar amp and like, you know, a carton of cigarettes. And that's, that was all the possessions we had in the world. And, um, you know, some CDs and tapes and we just drove out here and stopped and ended up in San Francisco. Oh, that's wow. kind of where our money ran out. And, uh, my stepdad had lived here in the sixties. So I'd grown up with stories about the hate Ashbury and the hippies and, the Black Panthers and the music scene and the Fillmore and everything. So I felt some history and, and curiosity for the place when I got here. And, and, you know, fortunately it was the kind of the best decision I ever made in my life to stop here and, um, kind of out of dumb luck, you know, but, uh, cause we looked at LA, we checked out Monterey, we looked at Santa Cruz and we could have gone on to Portland and Seattle, but we just didn't really have any more money. So we had to, we only had enough money to really put a down payment on a place here, so this was where we had to go. So we stopped here, and I've been here ever since. That's a very cool story, I should say, about just kind of like letting go of where you were. 
Um, yeah, needed to start again. You know, if I was going to start off on this adventure, I needed to have a fresh start and start with no, you know, no baggage and just start over and figure it out. Yeah. So, and thanks for talking about your biography a little bit. But so, in San Francisco, is that when you really started giving yourself permission to release some of your songs you've been writing? Um. Well, I began to work on it, you know, and, and share it with people or play it for roommates or have a gig or two, you know, at the beginning. And uh, probably 97, I played a few shows, 98, 99. And we're talking three or four a year, not not once a month or not. There was no demand and I had no, um, you know, real awareness of who to talk to or how it worked, you know. But you spend a little time at a club and you meet this person and so and you get introduced to a guy who has a studio or this guy plays bass and, Oh, you, you know, you like to record at home. Oh, cool. You should meet my friend. He does this, you know, like, like anybody, you just start meeting people and then you become kind of uh, part of that scene of people who are doing stuff, whether it's, you know, you know, you know, good, whether the songs are any good or whatever, everybody's, Oh, you make music. Cool. You know, and, what's your band called and we should start something. And like anybody, you know, everybody had at that time that I would meet was in a band or starting a band or let's start a band. And, and all those stories of, you know, we've got a name of a group and you never heard about them again. And so-and-so plays guitar and they you never heard anything from them again. And a lot of it was just things you would say at a nightclub or a bar, you know, and uh, none of it was rooted in reality for a lot of people, but you know, there were people who were doing stuff and I, I was really working on my learning to work my four track and learning to play. Um, luckily I had a little basement that we built at our, at our first apartment and we covered all the walls in tinfoil and, you know, it became our little clubhouse for me and the guy who played drums, Gus, and another friend of mine who lived with us, and we would just go down there and play music for hours and hours and hours, and we built it up and had, you know, took out all the light bulbs and put blue and orange light bulbs in. So we had our own little cool club, and I had bought a four-track and, and a mic, so we would make tapes, and they were just awful, you know, but um, kind of learned about writing songs and the difference between a song and a just a jam. Right. And, you know, guzzling a bunch of beer and <laughs> making a racket and then actually the, the discipline of actually making something that you want to listen to more than once. You know, particularly if you weren't involved in it. You know, I mean, I I have still have friends who want to want to play me their jams, you know, and it's like, man, this is so boring, you know. But a song you want to listen to a couple of times, but somebody's rehearsal tapes, no matter how you know <laughs> interesting it sounds to them, if you weren't there, it's kind of gets a bit boring. So you know, finding the finding out about the difference between that and an actual song that bears repeated playing and learning how to do that, you know, that took that takes a while. So I worked on that, and and I think that I had the fire more than the guys I was living with, and more than the drummer who I came out with, you know, and, and he had a girlfriend and got involved in, you know, bartending and doing other stuff. So a lot of times it, after a while it was whittled away to just me down in the basement, you know, uh, the other guys kind of dropped off after a year. So it was just me with a four track and his drum set and the other guy's bass and my guitar and my mic. So then I just thought, well, shit, I, 
I don't want to wait around for these guys. They went to the bar. They're not going to come back. I know how this is going to go. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. sit here all night. They're not. They're going to blow it off. Or they blew me off last night we were supposed to play. So I'm going to just go down there and play his drums. So I taught myself to play drums on his drum set. I taught myself to play bass on his bass. And then I learned how I could use my four track to make a song by playing all the parts, you know. And so I would play guitar and then I'd add the drums and then I'd add the bass and then I'd sing and kind of re- realized that I could be in my own band and I didn't need to depend on anybody else's schedule or, you know, availability from work or availability from their social life. And if I was inspired, I could go down there for nine and 10 hours a day and make up songs. And so that's kind of where that all really started for me. Yeah, that's, I love and that. And you... it was a good place to put out really, to make really shitty songs, <laughs> but, but learn how to make them better you know, as I went rather than have to share a bunch of crappy songs with people or try to get people to play a song that eh, maybe it's not that good of a song, you know, but you learn, I learned how to write songs that I, that were more true to what I wanted to listen to in that setting. And I learned how to work a four track and where to put a mic on a snare. And I learned how to play drums. You know, I never had a drum set as a kid. I never had a bass guitar. I never had a piano. Um, so I taught myself kind of how to play all those things once I got out here when I was, you know, 25 or 6 or 24, 25. That's kind of when I started to get my hands on different instruments. And so in, in order to make my songs, I needed to learn how to play drums well and I needed to learn how to play piano. So I just sort of taught myself on those things as they became available in various, you know, apartments that I lived in. And that's, uh, that was it. A couple of the concepts I wanted to draw out is you you had this, you know, felt this call towards music, but like you said in in uh, Detroit at the Magic Bag, you were you weren't really further along than any of the other guys, but you had this kind of vision and dream and then you you went for it. You just started participating. I, I mean, I hear, you know, you were kind of holding yourself back a little bit um, like most people do because they don't think it's them that has the uh, the gifts or the you know wanting to share the art like those huge artists we see when we're kids but I saw this huge thing that I talk about all the time in psychology which is participation we learn from participating and we learn from taking risks and you took a lot of risks I mean you could have just been a bartender or something else but you just went for it and then with the friends um, playing the music all the time experimenting playing all the different instruments which is really unique, um, which I'll, I'll get to, but also allowing yourself to make mistakes. And that's mm-hmm. a, a big thing I talk with a lot of people in their 20s or in, in teens and even 30s who really have these great ideas, um, but they're afraid to make mistakes. They're afraid to put out a bunch of different things. And one of these episodes, I'm going to actually play my new album will be out and I'll be playing my part of my new album and talking about it. But um, I... <laughs> You threw away a lot of your tapes that were terrible. I actually was like handing them out and they were terrible. My first, uh, I don't know, four or five little demo collections I put together. Um, but, and, and then, you know, but I got feedback. People said, Hey, this is, this song is terrible and this song is good. And that actually helped me become a mm-hmm. piano player. But I'm, I'm, this is my hobby, not my career. And this is your career. And I see you going head first into it even though you might have doubted that you might be some major artist 
um, and you know, like some of your heroes, you you had discipline also because that's a big part of it. Um, being in the music scene and doing many tours when I was younger, uh, there's a whole element of you know drinking and 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 all that is is part of it. Um, but sometimes for some people that becomes the whole thing. That becomes yeah they get too excited about the the bar after the, the show yeah, sure. right, versus the performance before the after party mm-hmm. um and so i hear you you're all by yourself and so i wanted to get back to you i just wanted to kind of comment from the psychology end that i see you taking a lot of risks and it paid off the discipline paid off the experimentation made off uh paid off um and not quitting um and so i, I wanted to comment on that but i also really want to talk about this for a second for our listeners on especially your new albums but and a lot of the other albums you done did a lot of the instruments but on i think on your new ones don't you play every instrument um yeah pretty much from you know from my first record till now i basically play all the instruments you know i i use the my recording device is my you know my studio is uh where i write the stuff i don't kind of sit in my piano or with a guitar for nine months and labor over lyrics and labor over chord progressions. I basically each day is a new, an opportunity to make a new piece of music and, uh, or to work on something that I started the day before or the week before or six years before you never know, you know, you just catalog things and they, sometimes you're inspired to make new stuff and sometimes you're out of ideas and you can reach back to something you started years ago that you thought at the time s isn't going anywhere and you're able to mold it into something that's maybe it should have you didn't have that idea or that inspiration at that point so you know um yeah i i I will go in my studio and i'll play a piano or a guitar and write up a little uh chord progression and blah 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 blah, blah, kind of syllables spout out some syllables and some words that seem to fit a melody and and go okay i think that can that's cool and if i have this it needs a chorus here and uh okay we've that's getting a little boring maybe it needs some third part and you know kind of strum my way or play on a piano or a synthesizer different melodies and kind of get a song structure and then quickly put down a guitar you know and i have a good sense of time from doing this for so long that i've developed a you know i can play guitar or piano without a drum and be pretty relatively in time. And then I'll go add the drums to it and then fill it in with the bass and, um, you know, percussion and, uh, keyboards or tambourines, whatever it needs. You know, this, it's just the ideas come really fast for me. And so my, 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 uh, way of working is try to get things down as quickly as possible. It's like, I'll, I'll have the song, skeleton in my mind and as soon as i kind of figure out that's the song it's kind of a race to get it all down before i forget it that that blast of inspiration you can almost hear the song in your head and then it's a race to get all those things that come at you in that first moment down as quickly as possible um you know and i love playing drums and i love to play bass so part of me uh you know i regret not being more social with my albums and and i've played in groups with people where i'm just the drummer and it's a lot of fun to make an album with a variety of people um 
But on the other hand, it's a lot of fun to play the drums and it's a lot of fun to play the piano and to do all those parts. And the way I work is, you know, uh, I've compared it before to some people paint, you know, masterpiece oil paintings and I kind of take a Polaroid, you know, and <laughs> it can be equally beautiful in its way. It's going to be a bit more miniature and maybe not as refined, but there's something to the way I work that I think is you know, I can listen to it and know that that's good. And, and years later, I think, gee, I really wish I had recorded that better or been in a big studio with some really ringer musicians who could have brought more out of it. But, you know, some people call it demos or something. But for me, you know, um, the exciting part of it is partaking in the, the puzzle of making a song and playing the parts and getting better at playing drums, getting better at playing piano, getting better at the various things um, that I play. Um, I, I like I like that, too, gaining the skill on those instruments. So, you know, it's just as much fun or more fun for me to play the drums as it is to sing and to play, you know, the, the, the chorus on the guitar, you know, play the, the root notes on the guitar. It's more fun to play the drums, so I don't really want to strip myself of that joy. Uh even if the end result might be a little more professional sounding or well played. Um, you know, so I've always kind of done that. And a lot of that goes back to that early experience where um, the guys I was playing with got more kind of involved in different things and, and fell away from the daily grind of going in the basement and working on stuff. And so, you know, when I realized in 2000 or sorry about 96 or seven that those guys weren't going to show up, even though we talked about playing today, it was up to me to do everything that kind of stuck with me. So I've always just wanted to work on my schedule and I've been blessed to have made enough money that I can do this every day. So, you know, people have jobs, they're not always available. So I can go in my studio and do the whole thing myself. And I don't want to, wait till my drummer gets off work at six o'clock to come play the drums because by then the whole inspiration is gone and I've wasted a day sitting around and it's like, I could just do it now and it's going to be pretty good, you know? So, and I get to have all the fun of playing all these instruments. And as I say, figuring out the puzzle of what is this song that I, what's this idea that I hear and bringing it to fruition so that by eight or nine at night, I'm listening to it, you know, and I pop a glass of, pop a bottle of wine and sit back and, man, this sounds cool. I made this today, you know, and hopefully tomorrow I can do it again or I can add another idea to this song, you know. So, yeah, and so all my albums are basically just me. You know, occasionally I'll have my girlfriend will play something or, um, you know, there will be a part that I'm just not able to play well enough. And I have – I. I I want it to go bump, 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 but I've just, I've tried for four hours and I'm like, ah, I can't get it right. So I get somebody who's a little better and they do it. Um, but you know, most of all my records are just me playing and, and yeah. there's good and bad things about that. As I say, you know, it's a little bit of a, uh, it's a little sad that I haven't had that camaraderie with others in creation you know you want to be the Beatles where you've got these four different <laughs> voices making one thing better um, and I've met a few people over my over the years that man I can make up a song with them in 10 seconds the same way I can you know with myself there are a few people I've met in my life that, that I can do that with That's like a, 
a McCartney for a Lennon or whatever, where you can just bounce an idea and bam, they just know exactly what you're doing. And I love that feeling. And, uh, you know, but hopefully I'll be around long enough that I can do that sometime and make a record with other people. Um, but just my process of really having nothing at the beginning of the day and trying to mold something by the end of the day, that's a, that either requires, you know, that requires having people sit around until, you know, the idea strikes. And so for me, it's just easier to kind of pull it out of myself, I guess. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've developed your method, which is very important to the songs. And I actually didn't realize um, that a lot of maybe some of your albums, you wrote all of the whole song in a day, maybe, and then tracked over it later. Is that what I was hearing? Yeah. Well, that's 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 pretty awesome. So you're kind of capturing pretty much everything. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any lyrics laying around. I don't right. have it. I don't have any. No, I mean, I just maybe at night I might sit on the couch and watch baseball and strum a chord pattern and go, "Ooh, that's what I'm going to work on tomorrow." And then I go in the next day and that's where you know, yeah, I uh, all the songs come together in a day or two. You know, they just start with nothing. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody's song starts with nothing. Oh, but, sure. You know, other people work in a more labored way. That's you know, they get a pen and paper and think about, I want to write a song about, you know, lovely Rita the meter maid, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I've just never been able to put music to pre pre-written lyrics. And um, I'm able to put words to music, you know, more easily than I am music, to, what, let's see, music to words. I can put... I can make words. I can. I usually make up the music first, and then add the words later. And sometimes I'll hear somebody say something, or I'll read something, and that a little turn of phrase. You know, if you have a title for a song, you're uh, you're in good shape, at least for me. And that goes back to being kind of a class clown and a person who's able. Like I said, I can. We need peanut butter, and I can write that song. And you know, I hear somebody say, "We need some peanut butter." Well, you know, <laughs> I can write that song. And that in 10 minutes. So, you know, the words come out pretty quick. And like anything you do quickly, you, you realize later, ooh, I was actually meaning to, uh, this, what I was meaning to say would have been this, and this would have been a better lyric, but it's already recorded and done, and I moved on to something else. So I guess there's room for improvement on all of them, and probably on anybody's kind of, anybody's oh, music, sure. no matter how long you labor over something, you may wish you'd sang something differently or written a different word but you know it's just part of it and it's uh i get really attached to the songs for the, the those four day or four or five days that i'm fleshing it out and finishing it but after that it's kind of just on to the next thing yeah yeah absolutely so you love creating and then i guess when you tour or when you play a lot in san francisco or la you've got your friends or i guess bandmates from other bands or somebody that plays yeah. with you Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've done solo shows with a drum machine and a guitar and sang or a piano. And, uh, but you know, and I've dreamt about taking my tape machine with all my backing tracks. That would be a cheap way to tour, but you know, there's something to seeing that interaction with people. And, you know, I'd rather watch a live drummer than a bunch of stuff on a sampler. So, you know, I, I just have always, uh, hired in, friends or uh 
you know, whatever to play the drum, usually the drums, the bass and a guitar or a keyboardist to kind of fill out the sound. That's, that's where I'm at now. Where I am now is with a, a bass player and a guy who plays guitar and keyboards and a drummer. And, um, and I play guitar and some keyboards and, you know, some things fall by the wayside that are on the records that you just don't have enough hands to play to fill out all the parts. But, you know, it takes on a different life kind of in the live setting, I think. And uh, it's a little more rough around the edges. And I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing all this about the way you make songs. And I'm I'm, I'm kind of glad that you write these songs in a spurt of energy. I, I heard an author once say, I think this is possibly an apocryphal theory, but they were saying that they felt that some of the stories that came into their mind weren't their stories, that the stories were just out there, and all if you were listening, you would catch the story. And I, I've sometimes had a similar experience because, I, I, as I said, I write music for a hobby, but w- most of the songs I've ever written have been in 20 minutes or an hour, um, and I wrote them all down on the piano, yeah. and they all came to me, and the words came to me. I, I very the worst songs I've ever written were the ones that I spent weeks on or, or months trying to develop, and I've got a few examples of those mm-hmm. that I will never hopefully play in public. But it's interesting that you're sort of capturing a moment, <laughs> capturing a mood, and then you know maybe something influenced you that day, and then mm-hmm. and there's the song. So the cool news for us, the fans, yep. and well your future fans, hopefully from this podcast, is that there's a lot of material out there. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't even aware when I was on Wikipedia that you had put out even some more albums that I'd even heard or little singles or something. Uh huh. Um, now I'm going to be playing a lot of probably little clips from Antique Glow, Below the Branches, Circular Sounds, um, and though some of those were on Sub Pop, um, yep. and that was a label you were on for a while, and then Double Exposure. Um, I think got a lot of press maybe because you were on Jack White's Third Man Records. Right. And then we've got, is it In Triangle Time or Triangle Time? In Triangle Time. In Triangle Time. I love that record. Um, Oh, good. And I, I, I've been telling, I I think I emailed the guy from Castleface to say that it wasn't on Spotify. I mean, I bought all your records, but when I'm listening far away, I just throw on Spotify because I figure you're getting a few cents. Um, uh-huh. but uh, that one's not on there for some reason. But there's also four new cuts, which was uh, the seven inches. Uh, I'm gonna play mm-hmm. some stuff off of that. I think, yeah, I think I got the download with that. And then the new album that everyone's talking about is K Aura. And then apparent, and then of course there's a couple of the comedy albums, the scuzzy inputs of Willie Weird, Strat, and then I guess you have a new album. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, that's. Uh that's called natural causes and um that one is kind of was you know recorded in downtime after k aura it wasn't really songs that were intended for that it wasn't you know stuff that just didn't fit or feel good enough it was just a a month later or whatever i was done with that album and i'm you know i'm home and i may as well try and write something so i wrote those, uh, you know, kind of, I guess it would have been about a year ago. It was March of last year, I think, I made those songs up. And uh, it's only nine songs, and I definitely didn't labor over them as much as I would some other ones. I kind of wanted to make something that didn't feel too fussed over 
Um, I think Kaora and Triangle Time and Double Exposure, I really worked hard on all those songs, um, you know, to the point where I got where I was taking things away. It's like, you know, you start adding, oh, it could have this or it could have that. And I wanted to get back to just the initial idea and letting that be enough and a minimal overdubs. And, you know, I'm not really, uh, I don't really spend a lot of time on the vocals and sing things, you know, for hours. It's generally the first or second take. And then maybe I'll, I'll write a different line and re overdub that a new lyric that I feel is better or something. But, you know, I don't labor over the takes too much, but, um, Anyway, but definitely on this album, I just kind of wanted to uh, keep it very minimal. So it's just bass, guitar, drums, and some synthesizers and vocals. Um, and it kind of harkens back, I think, a little more to sort of the earlier anti-glow or below the branches kind of songs. Um, less kind of new wavy synthesizery and a little more just acoustic guitar or uh, you know, more kind of straight ahead rock and roll music, I guess, as, you know, straight ahead as I get, it's still not, you know, it's not rolling stones or something, but it's, right. uh, yeah. So I have a question about that one. Um, that one, I don't even think that's available to the general public yet. I guess you said on Facebook that you were, uh, selling it at shows. Is that what's going on yeah, right now? So, uh, so I, I put that out with some friends of mine in Madrid who have a record label called Banana and Louie. And they've just uh, started, this is their first release on their label, and they're just doing a small run of, you know, a thousand records or something. It's not a big company, and they're they're starting small. And uh, so they were always supportive of me and fans of my music uh, from the first visits to Spain. And... Uh, this guy, Jesus uh, Alvarez, owns a record store in Madrid called Radio City. It's a great uh, record shop there. And um, so I've done an in-store there and gotten to, you know, just know them as I've gone back to Madrid over time. And now they're friends, you know. And so the last time I was there, uh, last year, last summer, actually, they asked me if I would put something out on their label. And I said, you know, I've actually made an album after Kaora that's just sitting there and, you know, you could you could have that if you want, and um, so they were able to get it pressed to vinyl by the time I was here in uh, sorry by the time I was there just this year in March. So I sold some at the concerts in uh, Europe this uh, February and March, and then when I got back, I brought you know some back on the plane with me. So I had thirty or forty copies that I was able to sell at a kind of a record release show here in San Francisco. So. Some people here have it, some people in Europe have it, but I think the street date for it in the world will be in uh, it's like June 15th or 16th or something like that. Oh, okay. So it's going to be available for the rest of us uh, yes. fans. Okay, good. Hey!
some of the songs are really about human emotions and different moods. Um, and then there's other sides that are, it's kind of like a story or a scenario or like a character, it sounds like, like okay. almost like cinematic or storytelling. And then there's several albums of complete joking, um, inside jokes, um, straight up humor under the name Willie Weird. Right. And also this new one called Strat, which I yeah. noticed a couple months ago. I didn't even know that you put that out. And, uh, that album I found great and also hilarious in many ways. Um, well, thank, thank God somebody did. Good. Uh-huh. I mean, the Cape Canaveral singers, I think, were one of the uh, the backing voices, supposedly, to that album. And I, I almost died laughing because I have a lot of associations with Florida in my head. But um, okay. so uh, I want to, I guess, for, for the listeners who haven't heard all your music, I was just curious... Um, well, what kind of inspires you in, to write all these types of different songs? Um, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I have a multifaceted personality. I'm extremely interesting. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, um, I was always a class clown in school, and I have a good sense of humor. And I think, you know, my friends who know me well would, you know, tell you that I make them laugh a lot. And uh, I also have this musical side that is can be serious and try to write a beautiful song and, you know, a love of nice melodies. So sometimes those two things can't coexist, I guess, because my humor is often, you know, raised on Monty Python and, you know, absurd humor from my childhood. Yes. Um, I have, you know, a, a real love for that and uh and so for a long time you know as i would write songs i i felt like it was a a serious person you know and people probably never outside of my friend friends close friends or people who maybe had seen me in concert where i went off on kind of a stand-up comedy rant mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't know that i actually had a pretty funny side and a absurd side and so I think at one point I just, um, I, I, I always am making up songs, stupid songs, singing along, you know, I have that addiction, uh, to, uh, uh, well, not an addiction, a, uh, compulsion, compulsion to write songs in the moment. You know, so I'm, I'm that annoying person, that Ricky <laughs> Gervais kind of friend who is, if you say something, you know, uh, I, I think I'll, I think we need to go, I think we need more peanut butter. I mean, you know, I think we need more peanut butter. We have run out the cupboard <laughs> looking bare and blah, but it, you know, I turn it in. It's everything is a song to me, which is, um, really annoying for people you know my my girlfriend and my bandmates you know and uh particularly in the morning when i have my first cup of coffee it's like a stream of consciousness thing and there is some uh you know mental something going on because it's not uh quote unquote normal behavior but you know i'm able to rhyme i'm able to mimic i'm able to make up songs that make sense, you know, pretty much on the spot about a variety of subjects. And I often would sing those songs into my phone 
And sometimes they would die there, but occasionally I would go into my studio and, you know, record a song, a humor song. And um, I think with that Willie Weird album, I, I started to say I, I feel like I needed to have an outlet for the goofier side of myself uh, and some of those songs that I make up in five minutes and allow people to, you know, maybe check those out to see that there is this sensitive side and then also a strange humorous side and i it's not always quite as dark humor as that record is but um you know i have a lighter side too and it was important to me to feel like i need to express that and let people know that it exists because you know you can get in a box of being a serious songwriter and it gets really tiresome and uh it, i mean you know, Neil Young doesn't need to be funny. Leonard Cohen doesn't need to be funny. I'm sure they had a sense of humor, too. Maybe they had a, a dedication to their craft as serious songwriters. But, you know, I was always trying to make people laugh as a kid before I played any music. So, you know, I just uh, I have a need to express that side of myself, too, as a, you know, and if it feels good. And I don't know if anybody gets the joke. I'm glad you do. I know some, some people like those songs and understand. Um, and, uh, but it just, yeah, it feels good to have a, 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 a pseudonym or whatever, some way to express my real self, even if it is under a different name. Um, because the sensitive singer is not always the real self. Right. You know, it, that's almost the put on sometimes. And the goofy stuff is the reality. Wow, I I love that answer um, to my to that question. I yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's part of I don't know what people are all talking about in the media with authenticity, kind of embracing the light side, but also the dark side of our personalities. And I guess for a singer songwriter who's written a lot of albums with existential themes, love, loss. And sure. really emotional songs like yourself, there's also this, uh, well, hey, wait, there's another part of life and, um, you know, this comedic absurd part. And maybe that's why I connect with your records, because I love that Monty Python. And right. I used to, I grew up in the in the Kids in the Hall era. I don't know if okay. you know them, but... Um, yeah, my girlfriend loves Kids in the Hall. Yeah. They're very absurd. Um, I think they kind of probably got some ideas from Monty Python and I like sure. both of them, but... I think that's why, yeah, I could see, I could see some of that absurdism. I, my, I, I have to say this on air just for people that they, you, you should all get the Strat record. I think it's available at kellystoltz.com. Um, but there's a song in there and I, and it stuck in my head the moment I heard it. And I, I actually laugh and chuckle to myself sometimes whenever somebody says the word confidence, because your character in the song is singing about confidence and how he's got confidence. And then he says, C O N fidence, <laughs> which uh, is probably the most hilarious thing ever because there's all these tropes of these singers who, who spell out the word. I don't even know. Is it Aretha Franklin? I don't know. Right. R E S P C T. Right. Right. And they spell it out. And your character is, I don't know who he is in that song, but he, he doesn't spell out the word confidence because it's too long. So he just spells C O N N F the dance. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. I was dying. I couldn't. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. C O N
yeah, I'm kind of getting a picture of you, and uh, it seems like just really involved in your craft, and I think then that inspires, it's inspiring more and more ideas because you've been able to focus on music, which is a real gift um, given kind of what's going on in the U.S. The arts are not as valued. It's usually the first thing cut in education, and it's uh, the last thing added um, to certain things. and not, not music festivals, but certain, I don't know, gatherings or whatever. Music's kind of an afterthought and or different arts. And so um, I think that's pretty awesome, and I, uh, I'm glad that you've been able to do that. As a, your job as a professional musician, but part of your job as a musician, from what I understand, is also recording different right. bands. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's uh, that's kind of a side hobby as well. You know, it's not a it's a paid hobby. I wouldn't say it's a hobby and that I get a great kick out of it. You know, I don't really uh, want to pursue a career in being an engineer for other bands because it's just not that much fun. You know, I mean, oh, okay. just you sit there and other people do all the stuff that you get the fun out of, you know, and you were talking about when I was an intern, it was it's a similar situation, you know, uh, you know, you're just helping somebody else achieve their thing, which, uh, you know, you can have fun in and, and it's nice to, uh, hear the, uh, the final product when a record comes out, but, you know, sitting there for eight hours in a room with a band playing, it's not the, uh, you know, for four or five days. That's not, not my, my idea of something that I want to do for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you just, you produce some records kind of as a side thing for some yeah. people you knew or bands that wanted yeah, you to help mostly them? mostly like uh, local bands that I know. I've had a few bands. I had some people from Switzerland come and some people from Texas, uh, um, some friends from Australia. So I have done people from, you know, around the world, but a lot of it has been... Um, bands you know from san francisco who are either friends or fans of my music and it's a way to make a little bit of money and um keep kind of a hand involved particularly with younger bands and help them along their way you know as they they make their first or second record and um you know i'm i'm lucky and that i that i do music full-time as a as a job and i'm make enough money to kind of survive that way and so it's just you know it pitches in a little bit on the bottom line for rent and bills and stuff and as i say it helps kind of keep me involved with the music scene here as it evolves and meet you know young people who are doing stuff or musicians that i like that i'm interested in working with um and kind of get a a view into how they operate um but as i say you know the engineering part of it is 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 fun you know Mm-hmm. but it's not that much fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you, you can only get excited by your, your, your mic placement. You know, at some point you just, <laughs> you know, is that really exciting to, uh, you know, you know, I don't know. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. It's well, it's much I mean, more, it is, a... you know, sometimes you make, wow, this is the best snare sound I've ever gotten. Wow. I, I learned something about, if I use this mic versus that mic in this location, but 
you know, I'm not scientifically uh, wired that way to get a real thrill out of that as much as I am. You know, I, I have, I get more, uh, I, I'm more excited about, you know, making the music myself. So it's, it, it is a discipline you have to learn being an engineer. Uh, you have to learn to be a little more Zen because sometimes you want to interject an idea, uh, or a suggestion for a melody or an instrument, or why don't you try it this way? But you really have to learn to kind of keep your mouth shut and let people, uh, you know, it's their thing, and you have to respect that and allow them to go where they want to go, even if it's not what you're hearing in your head as the, the right sound or the right idea. Um, and it's kind of about learning the, um, learning, learning the skill uh, to... Uh, offer advice at the right time and um, be patient and understanding as people take a series of either, you know, maybe wrong turns to arrive at their own conclusion and kind of helping guide them to do that in the easiest way possible, but also remaining patient when it is not the, when they take the hardest route possible. So hmm. there are skills to learn as an engineer and a producer that I think are valuable to use in your own music and in, you know, life itself. So, uh, you know, I, I do appreciate that. And I have gotten a lot out of it for that. It's a, it is a different, a different discipline though, to, um, you know, when you're not hands on the controls of the instruments, um, you have to step back and let somebody else have their fun with that. So, uh, you know, it's, it is, it is useful, uh, thing for me to do. You have multiple releases on other European record labels and several American labels, and I was just curious: is that um, as to why you had so many different labels um, that you were working with? Well, you know, I think like like a lot of groups, you meet people along the way on tour, or someone expresses an interest in this. You know, I have a little label, in, you know. Uh, uh, Spain or in Switzerland or uh, you know somebody in the US uh, and they're interested in you know I'd love to put out a 45 of yours or whatever and there was a guy in London who called Stroll on who uh, was a young fan of mine and he wanted to put some things out and so you know he was willing to put out the Willie Weird album which I said you know I have this kind of strange thing that's I sing through a vocoder and robot voices and everything's not sounding just like my music and he <laughs> game for that, which was really great. So he put out some stuff. So, you know, um, it's, it's kind of nice to let other people, it, it's nice that anyone's interested, you know, to put those things out. So, you know, if somebody asks me, I, I generally have a lot of songs around and if I've got the time to mix them and get them finished and sent to them, then, you know, I'm happy to have different things out. It all helps every night at the you know merchandise table at the end of the night at a concert to have some things to sell to you know buy gas and hotels and whatever so you need you need these you need more stuff uh you know to offer to people and and help you along you know financially and also to so these songs just don't die in a reel of tape or in a hard drive somewhere that they've never heard by anybody you know so it's it's advantageous to have these little labels that want to put things out and um, so I'm glad that you know to have been supported by people like that. So 
you know, Sub Pop, I signed up for a three album deal with them and I did my three records and, you know, I made some good albums. I didn't set the world on fire as far as, uh, you know, mass popularity and I probably didn't sell a lot of records for them, but, you know, that, so that deal came and once it was over, it was time to find something else and I knew, um, people involved at third man and jack liked my music and you know he'd taken me on tour with his uh, rack and tours in 2006 because he liked the below the branches and the anti-glow records that he'd heard so i opened for them and so that was kind of an easy fit after i had left sub pop i i had this album which was double exposure finished and basically they just said you know send it over and they you know jack listened to it and said let's put this out it's great so um that was an easy thing, and and uh, I would have been happy to stay at Third Man, but um, they had a lot of releases slated for the time when In Triangle Time was ready to, you know, be put out, and they said we can do it, but it's going to be a year or eight months, and it was like, oh man, I'd like to, I don't want to wait that long, you know. So we, uh, I spoke with John Dwyer, who runs Castleface. Um, and he's an old friend of mine from San Francisco and his band, the OZs has gone, you know, really great. And he's got a lot of, uh, you know, uh, interest in helping people that he, whose music he likes. And so he'd always been a fan of mine and a friend. And so he was just like, man, I'll put it out. We'll get it out, you know, in three months. And sure enough, that was done. And, and that relationship went really well. And, and, um, so it just seemed kind of no reason to rock the boat and jump back and forth. So I offered him the Teoro record as well. So, you know, I would love to work with Third Man again and Castleface again or anybody really who is uh, interested. You just want to go where there's excitement and interest in what you're doing. And um, so they, they've done a good job with this stuff. You, you have this do-it-yourself kind of attitude in your music but it's it's very appealing to people um that hear it but i also hear this kind of do it yourself with promotion i don't see a lot of promotion out there so it's like as i said before when people find your music they sort of dive all in and they want to know more but um it seems like you know jeff buckley had a whole of course this is a different decade with a different financial economic situation going on jeff buckley had a mailroom full of people and you're running errands. Well, you know, he had me and his man. You know, he had three of us. It oh, wasn't three a, of you. It wasn't a massive enterprise. Oh, but, well. you know, he had, <laughs> Sony. he had Sony in Columbia. You know, he had big wigs working on his stuff. Right. So, uh, you know, yeah. So I, I was just curious. So I, I see you, you got the web page um, and you got your personal Facebook out there. Um, I guess where are the best places for people to who are new to Kelly Stoltz to find your stuff? I guess my website, which is kellystoltz.com, K-E-L-L-E-Y-S-T-O-L-T-Z.com. I update when I have shows, tours. Uh, you know, you can buy tour shirts, merchandise, records, and things on there, and it keeps you up to date on shows and any news that I have. But, you know, I do that website myself, and... Um, you know, Facebook, I just never, uh, I didn't know the difference between a band page and my page. And then once I had all these friends sign up to it, I just, you know, I just, I shy away a lot from this personal, you know, I think we're all constantly being clubbed over the head with 
listen to this and look at me. Oh yeah. And, you know, I have a hard time making a new record and doing, you know, a big Facebook posts and bombarding people with information about my stuff. So I'm happy to just make a video, put it up there. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about it. I'm not going to um, try to beat people over the head for weeks at a time, which I think is, you know, in this day and age is kind of necessary, but it's just not really in my personality to act that way. So, you know, as a result, I probably don't get out. Uh, you know, the word doesn't get out as well as it could. Um, and you know, I'm pretty, as I say, I, I'm, I'm focused on making music, uh, you know, in my studio and writing songs. So that's where the joy of it is. And, and the follow through with the lengthy touring and the promotion has never been my strong suit. And, um, you know, there are prices to pay for that, which, which is, uh, you know, languishing in relative obscurity for the rest of my life. And, <laughs> You know, someday I may wake up and go, God, I wish I had pushed a little harder and been more of a pain in the ass on people's, uh, you know, social media sites or whatever. But it's, you know, right now it's just uh, not the important thing to me. And uh, so I still, you know, I just enjoy making the music and I think I would make it if anybody was listening or not. You know, I mean, I think so. Well, I think that's most important, and the good news is you do have a good body of work out there. So word of yeah. mouth is king, they always say in marketing. And there's also sure. something to being the artist that isn't putting ads on Instagram uh, with weird music videos. I mean, I like weird music videos. Please keep making them. But what I mean is over-the-top produced music videos and weird um, you know, expensive logos and advertisements everywhere. So I think people are getting sick of uh, the noise that's bombarding us at every second. And so that's I, I, you put a lot of stuff out on vinyl, but it is available in digital format as well because I love vinyl and I uh, listen to it. But a, a lot of times I find myself as I, I'm a little bit of an, um, I don't tour, but I, I, I'm a little bit of a nomad in terms of where I live um i find myself listening to things on my phone which has the mp3s on it or uh driving so sure. um, i'm appreciative of it, them being in in both formats but i think I, i'm glad that you have the body of work because i think that's important and that people will keep finding it and then dive in as long as they can get their hands on it so yeah is there anything um you would say to a young artist out there maybe they're 12 or 13 in their parents garage or maybe they're 20 and they're sick of the university or something what would you say to a young artist out there some advice whatever it is you know whatever it is that brings you happiness for lengthy periods of your day that seems to allow you to go into your own uh, space and whether it's uh, writing a poem or painting or uh, you know, fixing cars at a repair shop, you know, whatever it is that you enjoy doing that you find uh, time slips away and you get involved in a, um, a project that you want to see through from beginning to end. And you, you know, you struggle sometimes to make it work and, uh, but you always want to come back to it and see it through. I think that is indicative that you've kind of found your calling and, um, you know, in this in this life, if you are able to find something that brings you uh, happiness in the moment 
and allows your worries and the outside world and noise to fade away a little bit um, for hours at a time. And as I say, if you start something at one o'clock and you can't believe it's already 10 o'clock and you're still going 100 miles an hour working on it and you're able to do that for days and weeks at a time and it brings you pleasure, then you've probably found what you're supposed to be doing. So, uh, you know, you will figure out a way to uh, feed yourself and pay the phone bills um, in time. And it may be a struggle to figure out how to do all that, but it'll work out because uh, people will want to listen, read, look at, uh, drive the car that you fix, you know, whatever you want it, that you, um, whatever you discipline you choose, whether it's a creative one or a being a teacher, whatever it is that you find brings you happiness. That's the, that's really the thing that you should be pursuing because you're meant to do it. And on that note, thank you very much, Kelly, for coming on the podcast. And I really appreciate it. Um, Everybody, I've been playing some clips from Kelly's songs, and you can find him on the web at www.kelleystoltz. Is that it? That's right. Dot com. And uh, also on digital music suppliers, and uh, of course, the best qu- sound qualities just go direct by the records uh, from Kelly. And I, I, I would say one of the things. I did mention, you know, running around and listening to music on things, but I think there's another whole pleasure to sitting down, listening to a record, and turning off all digital devices nearby, and taking in the music and having that moment, and I I think that's important, something I talk about on my show a lot, taking that time to unplug, so I think Kelly's records are a perfect way, and whatever other artists you all listen to out there, to just take some time away from uh, the busy life um that you might lead and uh try that out so, yeah just don't, don't unplug the stereo no don't unplug the stereo but yeah you can un- <laughs> you can turn off your phone and your the television you so stereo is very yeah. essential Again, if you want to grab Kelly's records, head over to his websites, K-E-L-L-E-Y-S-T-O-L-T-Z.com, Kelly Stoltz. And also right now, um, in my practice in Grand Rapids, we have multiple great counselors. If you're looking for a counselor, if you haven't found a counselor and you're not in Grand Rapids, please check out psychologytoday.com or look for your local resources. Currently, I am very full in my practice so I am doing some consulting and some teaching outside of my practice so if you're interested in that you know how to find me paulkrauscounseling.com or healthforlifegr.com and as I said I'm going to be having a series of music episodes throughout the year interspersed with other topics and so I hope you like this one and thanks so much for listening
tell me about your last good meal you had. My last good meal. Oh man, is this a test? <laughs> uh, or is this an audio test? Uh, geez, I guess what was the last good meal I had? I just made myself a salad. I had a nice little uh, spinach salad with some onions, some pickles, uh, and a little side of hummus with some crackers. So, you know, anytime you're able to feed yourself, uh, you're in good shape. So I would say that was my last good meal. But I saw you at that show. And then the one prior to, was, was that a sunny show or something like that? Oh, yeah. Well, maybe this maybe this will get it. Maybe the little clip of this will get in the interview. Oh, yeah. Well, that was actually funny. I was going to bring that up, but I'll bring it up okay. now. Well, I just wanted yeah. to orient you. I wanted to orient sure, you, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tell right. you, uh, yeah, 2000, I don't know what it was. I was living in Phoenix, kind of, you know, working as a social worker and a musician. Uh, I was playing like, you know, getting you know, playing my own songs for no money and playing covers for money. And, um, yeah. And then I think my friends and I were going to see Jamie Liddell and they said, Oh, you should see Sunny in the sunsets. And I hadn't heard of them or at that time, it's like 2009. It's like right after that first record or second record. came Uh out. can't remember. So yeah, then I was out back cause I was, I don't know. I always like to meet the artists and I was going to meet Jamie Liddell and then you and, um, the, woman from the sunsets were like like drinking wine in a van or something (laughs) Uh, right so yeah sounds about right yeah that's how i met you and then i i don't remember i think you i i think i became facebook friends with you and and then she said you should listen to kelly stoltz you know who this is and i said i don't i don't know who this is and then sure i listened to your records and then i became a huge fan Sitting alone there 